0: Dude, just stop. Like you said, you don't like the Rocky movies. Like you're, I don't. The, You're the worst human being that I've ever met in my life. Okay.
1: Hey, guilty as charged then.
0: And Eric, you said that's, there's no football movie that's as good as like that being a boxing movie. Did I hear you correct? Yeah. I don't know that I would agree with that. I think any given Sunday or, say, or any the
1: given
0: program
2: Sunday is up there. The program
0: also a solid entry there. I don't know.
2: So that's a solid entry i don't know all right <laughs> it's debatable well, all
0: right well let's let's start the show all right uh welcome back to the south end zone podcast here on the Skin podcast network i'm your host jason bailey i'm with eric mulhair and timmy popovich uh eric what are you doing man did you enjoy your week off from podcasting
2: uh i did i had to uh, actually i kept pretty busy i had a lot of stuff uh going on uh both both of the twins had uh I've had surgery in the last couple of weeks there on the mend. So I've been uh, babysitting invalids for a little while and, you know, running food back and forth and, and all that. Um, so, yeah, uh, the usual. All right, Mr. Mom.
0: Well, Timmy, what's up, man?
1: Uh, not too much, man. Uh, week off came at a, a pretty good time because I came down with the Rona last week. So uh, yeah. probably would not have been able to record last week. So uh, it was a fortuitous week off, man.
0: Well, all right. Well, I I don't know if that I don't know if you boys can tell, but um, you know I, the reason why I wore a hat today is because uh, during my vacation I took a road trip with four kids in the car for a week, so my entire head of hair is now gray. And uh,
2: welcome to the club.
0: It's good to be back. So, um, so this week, since uh, we took the week off, uh, which was a much needed week off, and uh, we were a little light on content. We do have a little bit of breaking news. I don't know about breaking, but, uh, you know, some conference realignment news that uh, we need to sort of touch on before we get into the main part of this show. And uh, that's basically that uh, the teams that are going to be joining the Big 12, the, you know, Cincinnati, Houston, BYU, and UCF, all have agreed to contracts that will allow them entry into the Big 12 starting next season. And that is significant because, well, (laughs) I don't know how the fuck they're going to do that with Texas and Oklahoma still in there. I mean, they're going to have like 16 teams in there. It's going to be pretty crazy. I don't know how that format will work for a year or two, but also they'll have 14. Or, yeah, 14s. Excuse me. And so I don't know if they'll just do North and South divisions for two years or what they're, I don't know what their plan is. So that'll be interesting to watch. And, Also, Eric, now I didn't get a chance to look at the teams, but there are six, count them, six teams from Conference USA that are jumping to the AAC. What teams are
2: those? They are, um, in no particular order, uh, UAB, FAU, Rice, UTSA, Charlotte, and the North Texas Mean Green uh, are going from the Conference USA to the AAC uh, starting July first, twenty twenty three. So this is their last year in, in Conference USA. Now, I didn't, I, I, I knew this. I had kind of forgotten about it. Um, that those six teams. That's in addition to the three teams that have already left to go to the Sun Belt: uh, Southern Mississippi, Marshall, and Old Dominion. So the that Conference USA
0: in, is basically dead.
2: Yeah, they, boy, they are hurting because so they started this past season uh, fall of 2021 with 14 teams. So after these nine leave uh, and then starting in 2023, they're going to add New Mexico state Liberty. And then a couple of FCS schools are jumping up uh, Jacksonville state in Alabama and Sam Houston state. So those are two, you know, pretty g- really good uh, FCS programs, but they're, you know, that's who you're replacing, uh, you know, UTSA and Marshall with, you know, so, 14 teams in the 2021 season, and they currently, uh, as of right now, are slated to have nine uh, in 2023. So Conference USA is hurting. Mm. Man,
0: well, it's not the fun belt, but, uh, you know, they do tend to put on some watchable games, at least, you know, some Thursday night games here and there. So yeah. I don't know. that. <laughs> I hate to see Conference USA go away. You know, hopefully they maybe add a team or two or whatever. Like you said, Jacksonville State, typically a pretty good program. You know, they
2: they are. I mean, Sam Houston, Sam Houston State won the FCS title last uh, when they played in spring the the twenty twenty season in the spring of twenty one. They won the FCS championship. Uh, Jacksonville State they won at Florida State this past season. I mean, they're they're a good team.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, I forgot about that game. They won that last second deep ball. That was
2: great time. (laughs) <laughs> <Yep>. um, <laughs> no,
0: he's Jackson State, not Jacksonville State.
1: Oh, excuse yep. me. Yep. Yeah.
0: It, it's hard to discern. Jacksonville State and, you know, somewhere in West Alabama, it's kind of weird. But
2: yeah, uh, the problem for Conference USA is, yeah, they're going to need to add teams. Well, who who you, who you do you add? Who's left to add? I mean, who and that's, that's like step one. Step two is who are you going to add that brings as much value as... Marshall or, or UTSA or Southern Mississippi or FAU you know it's not like Notre Dame is going to jump on board you know what I mean like,
1: I'll tell you who'd look real good in there is Vandy Duke <laughs> Northwestern Kansas <laughs> <Anderson>. Hey man <laughs> uh,
0: commissioner our commissioner already starting the realignment yep, let's go yep. get them out Hey they man stink. just
1: makes sense just makes sense
0: Oh well, goodness. hey, you're the commish. You make the decisions. I'm I'm all for it. Put Vandy in the AAC. They're the premier team in there, man. Might man they might actually win it. a
1: few games. I don't know. I,
0: I know. That's crazy, right? Okay. So current Heisman odds. Do either one of you have that pulled up? Yes. All right. Read them off, Eric. What's What's the Heisman odds right now?
2: Okay. Uh, so in order, um, CJ Stroud is the the betting favorite at plus 250. Uh, Bryce Young plus 350. So uh, seven to two, right? I guess that comes out to seven Don't to two. Don't make odds. me do math. Uh, Caleb Williams, uh, third shortest odds at plus 900. Bijan Robinson plus 2000. DJ Ualungalay plus 2800. Dylan Gabriel and Jackson Smith and Jigba are both at plus 3000. Uh, Jackson Dart and Tyler Van Dyke plus 3500, both of them. And kind of rounding out the top ten plus ties, uh, Anthony Richardson of Florida, Keaton Slovis of Pitt, and Doctor Thunder himself, Spencer Rattler, are all plus four thousand.
0: Well, Timmy, I know you're a big Van Dyke guy. You you laying some money on Van Dyke to win the Heisman?
1: I would absolutely, I would absolutely drop a twenty spot on that because I mean, yeah, I get why C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young are are at the top of the list, but I mean. I think it's probably safer money to go with one of those guys towards the bottom of that top 10 than the top, quite honestly, because it's, you know, it's more value for the bet. But I I just don't see CJ Stroud or Bryce Young lasting out to win the Heisman. I, I think somebody's gonna be a dark horse this year. You know, somebody like a Kenny Pickett from last year that can get that extra momentum to maybe top one of those guys this year. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy.
0: I don't disagree with you. I think Young is probably the worst bet to win the Heisman because they just they don't award it to the same guy two years in a row anymore. And they have only done that what, twice ever. So even if he has a monster season, I just don't see it unless everyone else just tanks. So I wouldn't bet that CJ Stroud, I think, and Eric, I don't know what you think about this uh, before I give my pick. I, I think what he's got working against him is that Jackson Smith and Jigba plays on his team. And also Travion Henderson, who, you know, is one of the better running backs in the country and could, you know, steal some votes as well. So, I mean, do you agree with that, that he may, even though he may have one of the better seasons, he may end up losing some votes to guys on his own offense?
2: I do agree with that. I think he's going to fall into the too many eggs in one basket kind of thing where the Ohio State guys are going to split some votes because I think all three of those guys are going to have big seasons. Bryce Young, I think I don't like plus 350 for him just because I think when a guy is coming back, it feels like they – They set the bar a little higher for a guy to win it a second time. Like you think back to Johnny Manziel, the year after he won the Heisman, I think he was he probably had a better year than the one the year he actually did win the Heisman. But it seems like there's some sort of reluctance to to give a guy the Heisman two years in a row, which is why they've only done it once, I believe. But you know, you take those two guys off, and then it opens up a little more. I don't know that Kayla Williams would be my third pick. Um, In fact, I know he wouldn't. So I think it's a little more wide open than these numbers say. But I do agree with Timmy that if you're looking for pure value on a bet, uh, I think if you can get Tyler Van Dyke uh, plus 3,500, you should take that because I think his odds should be much shorter. I I think he's going to have a good year.
1: Well, can we also agree that by and large, you know, the Heisman winner is usually a part of a team who, you know, is undefeated or has one loss and is probably in the playoffs. Yeah, so, so that's... you you can scratch off Caleb Williams, you can scratch <laughs> off B. John Robinson, you can scratch off Quinn Ewers. I mean, those guys are great football players and they are elite talents, but they're not going to have the the team behind them to make their performances stand out. I mean, if B. John Robinson rushes for two thousand yards and Texas goes six and six, is he going to win the Heisman? I don't think so. I really don't.
0: Yeah, it's a tall it's a tall order. I, I completely agree with that. I mean, outside of Lamar Jackson, has any other Heisman winner not been in the playoffs since the playoffs inception? Am I
1: way off there? I, I'd have I, to go I, back and look, but it's yeah, got to be one honestly, of the
2: aberrations. Yeah, I, I don't know because I don't really. I honestly, I don't pay that much attention to the to the Heisman. <laughs> um, a lot of, like as far as oh, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. Um, Probably, I mean, Timmy's right. You know, team success is is part of it. A guy who, you know, you might be the best player in the country, and your team goes seven and five. Someone who who statistically puts up you know even remotely close numbers to you on the eleven and one team is probably going to get those votes.
0: Yeah, well, we know who should have won the Heisman last year, and that's Bailey Zappi.
2: So you know, apparently since well, he's the
0: greatest quarterback in the history of all quarterbacks.
2: He had the numbers. Hey, yeah, he got the, drafted.
0: Yeah, who the fuck is that guy? Um, all right. Well, I, if I had to bet on somebody out of that list, I'm probably going to bet on either B. John Robinson at plus 2,000 because he's the best running back in the country, in my opinion, and I think he'll have a monster Kenneth Walker-esque type season because he's their best player outside you know so i i don't know i think he'll carry the rock a ton and i expect them to be better than six and six i maybe not much better than that we'll see but i think they'll improve so if they were to go nine and three and he rushes for two thousand yards i think he's got a legit shot to win it <laughs> and tim says no way horns down moving on all right well Okay. So uh, for this next segment and what we're going to get into the main part of this show here, uh, Eric, are we titling this Pick Your Poison since you're going to be hosting these segments? Is that what we're doing?
2: We are. And just to kind of explain the format both to our listeners and to you guys, um, I have uh, a, a series of choices that, uh, you know, this team, that team, this person, this person, you know, some of these some of these pairings are are either directly or even just loosely related. Most of it centers around uh, who who do you think will have a better season and why or why not? It's like poison. You know what I mean? It's like taking poison, like rat poison. So, and and I will tell you, some of these are going to be tough because I, I tried to find, you know, pairings that were similar enough to to make you actually think about it. You know, instead of just oh, who's going to have a better season? You know, Alabama or Vanderbilt. Right, uh, But some of these, some ended up more, you know, the comps were much more closer than I even intended, uh, kind of by accident. So there should be some, some tough choices in here. And we will start with uh, the two guys who actually spurred this topic, uh, talking about them in the group chat. And that is Dr. Thunder himself, Spencer Rattler, and uh, DJ Yuangoli. U- <laughs> So two guys who are probably the two favorite, uh, since we just talked about Heisman odds, they were probably the two preseason Heisman favorites last year. 2021 didn't go as well as either of them probably had hoped or anyone else expected. So uh, Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma was 140 for 187, which is 74.9%. It was very good. Uh, 7.9 yards per attempt, 11 touchdowns, 5 interceptions, uh, although he did get benched uh, about halfway through the season. Uh, DJU was 208 for 374 which is a 55 completion percentage he's down to six yards per attempt which is not very good uh the opposite of explosive nine touchdowns 11 picks somehow out of that he con- he conjured a quarterback rating of 108 but he did not get benched and now that these guys are in-state rivals uh we'll start with tim you had to bet 20 dollars on who's going to have the better the better uh line at the end of the year who are you taking and why
1: uh, this one's easy, man. Uh, this is Spencer Rattler all day, every day, and it's mainly for one reason, and it's because I don't think DJU is a good quarterback, uh, straight up. I think he he had a lot of talent, you know, coming out of high school, uh, you know, five-star kid, whatever you want, you want to call him, but it, it just didn't materialize when he got to the college game, and you see that at different levels with different positions and different players. I think he's going to have another regression because, you know, Clemson's moving on from Tony Elliott. Um, They're bringing in, you know, Brandon Streeter, who was previously his quarterback's coach. So I I don't know how that's going to work out for him because in my opinion, I think it's going to be more of the same, you know, you're keeping the same guy as your quarterback's coach, but then he's got the extra responsibility of being the offensive coordinator on top of all that. I don't think he's going to be able to give him the tutelage that he needs to to get his skills, you know, that he has, you know, up to, to where they need to be. Uh, but on the flip side, uh, Spencer Rattler, I think, is going into a good position at South Carolina. You know, he's going into a new offensive scheme and philosophy as well, but there's some familiarity with the way that that Shane Beamer runs his program and you know his offensive philosophy um, because he did spend some time on Lincoln Riley's staff at Oklahoma so he has some familiarity with what Spencer Rattler was asked to do and he's the type of guy that's not going to reinvent the wheel for that kid he's going to figure out what he does best and he's going to try to cater to that and design you know the offensive philosophy around that and I think by and large we mostly agree that Spencer Rattler had a pretty decent statistical record last year. He he just got, you know, caught up in, in the cog of, you know, them losing some games with, you know, a highly touted freshman kid and Caleb Williams right behind him and Lincoln Rowley wanted to see what the kid could do. Um, I think this is a great scenario for Spencer Rattler and I think he's gonna have a good bounce back season.
2: Jason, agree, disagree?
0: I agree with most of that. I think just straight up between the two guys, I think Rattler is more physically gifted as far as, you know, being just a better pure passer. And I don't think that's much of a question, but I do disagree in that DJ, you will regress again because I think Tony Elliott moving on is a good thing. Even if you keep the same guy in house, I mean, Tony Elliott was the one calling the shots and the play calls. Clemson, in large, had a ton of injuries last year on offense. You know, they lost Justin Ross to injury the year prior, and he never came back. He was a shell of himself. And uh, Will Shipley was hurt for a large part of the year. And so they didn't have a running game to take the pressure off of DJU. I mean, we saw it. their offense was pitiful. They didn't have any kind of playmakers early in the season. And Eric, you did miss something there where DJ, you actually did get benched at one point in the season and they brought in some kid and he ran like five okay, plays and they sure. were like,
2: he got, he got benched for like two series. And then yeah. was, they were like, no, get your ass out. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's right. And so the, <laughs> I I don't know, man. If I had to just pick who's going to have a better season, statistically speaking, I think Rattler will have a better season. Even though the talent around DJU will be better, statistically speaking, Rattler will have a better season. But if you're asking me which team will have a better season, I think Clemson will definitely have a better season than South Carolina. But with DJU, man, this is a really, really tough one because I could see it going two ways the new leadership on offense could either propel him and he could get better because under Tony Elliott, I mean, even Trevor Lawrence regressed. I mean, we saw it like he wasn't as good his, you know, junior year as he was his freshman season. So he could, DJU could get better and keep his job or he could suck again. And I'm telling you, he's going to have a really short leash too because Club Nick looked, you know, pretty good in the spring game. So I think there's going to be a lot of people calling for you know, him to be in the game if uh, DJU's not getting the ball out. So as much as I hate to say it, I probably agree with Timmy. You know, I, I, I expect Rattler to hold on to the job. I don't think he has any kind of remote challenger for his job. And so for that reason, I would probably agree with Timmy that Rattler will have the better season, but it wouldn't shock me. If DJU improves a ton from last year, maybe not statistically, but just overall leading the offense, being a field general type, type thing.
1: Well, you yeah. do bring up one interesting point that works in my favor that I forgot to mention. You, you did say that you know Trevor Lawrence did regress, you know, what in his time there from his high school prospect and what he actually was on the field and he was still a generational talent you know but he could have been more and i agree with that but the common denominator in all of this is the fact that brandon streeter was still the quarterbacks coach and i put that more on the quarterbacks coach than i do the offensive coordinator And when you're talking about developing young freshmen and sophomore quarterbacks at the college level in my opinion
2: all right well i i tend to agree with both of you guys i think rattler i think he's the more talented quarterback now he, I think he is going to face stipper competition as far as defenses he's playing against than DJ Ungalet will. But DJ was also hurt for a big chunk of last year, and I think that's part of the reason that he was still out there, even though he was, you know, ha- having a splint on your index, your right index finger as a quarterback. That, but they they had no one else. You know, now they now they do. He didn't. Ha- it's not even that he had a long leash. He just didn't have a leash last year. So I think there's a little sense of urgency, and I I think he'll make it closer maybe than we're giving him credit for, but I, I also would pick Spencer Rattler.
1: I don't know, man. He doesn't strike me as the kind of kid that has the mental fortitude to be able to step his game up knowing that there's somebody now knocking on the door if he doesn't perform well enough. I think last year he didn't have that. This year he does.
0: That, that's what I was going to kind of point to as well. That What gives me pause about picking DJU is that, I mean, we know the kid can play. We saw him go in as a freshman against Notre Dame on the road and throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, we know the dude can do it. <laughs> and so I think Timmy may be on to something that he's kind of a head case, you know, where he, now that he's got some cloud and he's got expectations and shit like that, it's a little bit different than, you know, if he's just like, well, hey, freshman man, get out there and show him what you could do. You know, no pressure because you're a fucking backup. So I think that may play into it as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And part of his struggles last year. I mean, they're breaking in almost an entire new offensive line and all the, all the talent they had lost at the receiver position. The Travis Etienne, who I believe is the all time leading rusher in the ACC. You know, he left, he was, I think he was maybe stepping into a tougher job than a lot of people realized at the time. But I think for the most part, we'll all, all in agreement on that. So we'll get away from the players for just a minute. Uh, For the second one, uh, I picked two teams from the big 10 East. So, Michigan State last year had a better season than Penn State. They were 11 and 2. Penn State was 7 and 6. Uh, Michigan State won in Week 13, 30 to 27. They went to a New Year's Six Bowl and won. Um, Penn State started off 5 and 0, then they lost three straight, even though there were some close ones. However, uh, even after both of these schools giving their coaches huge extensions and raises, Penn State has the much much shorter odds to win the Big Ten. They're they're plus 1300, which isn't great, but Michigan State. Who had the better season is paying their coach more money, went to a better bowl game, won it. They're plus four thousand. You know they're they're in Keaton Slovis Heisman territory there. What uh, which team? Not and this is season wide. This isn't their their one on one matchup head to uh, head because this question might actually be answered by then. But uh, which of these teams do you expect to have the better season, Jason?
0: Even though I do expect Michigan State to take a step back, I'm going to go with Michigan State here. And I know that it's largely dependent on Mel Tucker continuing to hit grand slams (laughs) with recruiting and the transfer portal because uh, Kenneth Walker came from Wake Forest. They ended up winning 11 games on the back of his amazing performances. But, I mean, just looking at Michigan State's schedule for 2022, they have one tough road game or two tough road games all year that's it they play at Michigan and at Penn State every other tough game they play is at home so I think that kind of sets up in their favor Penn State I think I don't know how you go six and six and parlay that into a hundred million dollars but James Franklin to me the reason I would go with Michigan State there's no urgency for James Franklin he has fucking ironclad job security his buyout is so massive because he signed what 70 million guaranteed 5 years from now. His buyout would be $40 million. I mean there's no way that guy's getting fired no matter what he does. Mel Tucker, I mean yeah, he just signed a massive contract and all that but he ain't got that kind of that kind of clout like Franklin does. He's not as established as a head coach. I mean he comes out and flops, there'll be a lot of pissed off people wanting to get rid of him in the university would have the ability to do it in a much quicker manner than James Franklin. So just sheer talent, I think Michigan State, Penn State, probably pretty similar talent-wise. I think they're both better defensively than offensively, but just based on schedule and a little bit more lack of or sense of urgency, I'm going to go with Michigan State having a better season than Penn State this year.
2: That's fair. Timmy, what do you got? Well, you should know that.
1: Um, so I'm on the other side of the fence on this one, man. I I think Penn State is going to have not Shocking. just a, not just a better season, but a much better season than Michigan State.
0: Penn State, Homer.
1: Or, hey, call call it what it is, whatever. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, it boils down to two things for me. One, I think you know we discussed it a little bit at the end of the year. You know, earlier in the year that Michigan State pretty much performed, you know, way above expectations, and I don't see them being able to repeat that. I think they've lost too much from last year's team to be able to do that again. And on the flip side, I think Penn State was actually a much better team than what their record showed last year. They lost a lot of really close games last year. I mean, they were they were toe-to-toe with Ohio State for the most part. They were really close with Michigan. Um, they were very close with Michigan State. It was just... A couple of things that held them back last year, some injuries and some key games, you know, Sean Clifford going down a couple of times. And I think he's going to be a big part of why they're going to be a better team this year than they were last year. I think he's he's poised to have like a Kenny Pickett type season coming in for his senior year and, and you know, show some people, you know, that he's actually, a, you know, pretty above average quarterback. And, you know, if I'm going to take one of these two teams to go toe-to-toe with Ohio State, I'm going to take Penn State all day long. Well,
0: based on last year, that'd be a smart pick because it was 49 to nothing at halftime against Michigan State. But I agree with most of what you're saying, dude. But, I mean, you just look at Penn State's schedule. It's not easy. They open up on the road at Purdue. That ain't a fucking guaranteed win. Two weeks later, they're on the road at Auburn. That's not an easy place to play. I know Auburn is probably going to suck this year, but... It's on the road. They're not an easy team to beat, you know, when you're at the plains. Then they got a kind of couple of lulls. Then they got a brutal stretch at Michigan, Minnesota at home, Ohio State at home. I mean, that might be three straight losses. I I don't know. And then they got some cupcakes before they hit Michigan State at the end of the year. So mainly schedule, why I went with Michigan State there. And I think Mel Tucker is no worse of a coach than James Franklin. So (laughs) I don't know.
1: I think James Franklin's a better coach than Mel Tucker. I'll go there. Um, I think he's a better recruiter and I think he's a better coach and talking schedule. I mean, I agree with you that some of those games aren't necessarily easy, but I see Penn State being undefeated going into the Michigan game later in the year. What is that? Five and zero before they play them. Yeah. I mean, they could very well split, you know, a Michigan Ohio State game, win one, lose one. But after those two games, I really don't see too much of a test on their schedule. Um, so I, I think they're going to probably win nine games, maybe ten. Book it.
0: If you want to crown them, then crown their ass.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I, this I threw this one in there because I, I hadn't made up my mind. I, I think I see both of these teams in the eight to nine win range. Penn State, I I will agree with Tim that they were. I think they were much better than their record indicated. You look at some of their losses. You know, by three at Iowa, that was a game that Sean Clifford came out for the majority of the second half. Uh, By three at Michigan State, they lost by four to Michigan. Whereas Michigan State, yeah, they only lost twice, but those losses were rough. Yeah, that that Ohio State loss should have counted for three. I mean, that was (laughs) brutality. (laughs) So I I think Penn State takes a a four. I think Penn State takes a step forward. I think Michigan State takes a step back. Uh, I don't think either of those are too outlandish uh, of a statement, and I think he seems to end up pretty close. I think if I had to pick one, I might lean Penn State, but time will tell.
1: I mean, how much success would you put for Michigan State last year on Kenneth Walker's shoulders? I would put a very, very large portion of that, and Big he's chunk. gone. And he's well, gone. Single, so
0: he's he single handedly beat Michigan. So uh,
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean he was a Heisman front runner up until the very end. And yeah, you know, not having that kid alone is that's worth an L at least one or two games, you know, going into next year. Yeah, I agree.
2: Alright, uh, number three. Uh, these are two guys who were actually teammates, and once I kind of pulled up the numbers, I didn't realize this, but they were they were effectively the same exact player last year uh, as teammates. They've both moved on to maybe not greener pastures, but certainly different ones. So, Jackson Dart who's now at Old Miss, and Keaton Slovis, who is at Pitt. So I'm gonna give you these stat lines from their time at USC last season, and you can see what I'm talking about. Uh, Jackson Dart, 117 for 189, which is 62%, 1300 yards, 7.2 yards per attempt, nine touchdowns, five picks, and a passer rating of 132.5. Keaton Slovis, 139 out of 297 for a 65% completion rate, 2153 yards, also 7.2 yards per attempt, uh, similar touchdown to interception ratio, eleven to eight, and his passer rating is one thirty-two point seven. So he was zero point two points better as a passer than Jackson Dart. <laughs> um, so these guys very very similar stat lines. So you got to pick a guy better number at the or better numbers at the end of the year. Timmy, who's your horse?
1: Jackson Dart all day, every day.
2: Yep, this
0: one's easy. I yeah, agree. This a, Old this Miss Factor way, man. Kiffin, man. Kiffin is the X factor. He's an offensive guru. Not to take anything away from Keaton Slovis going to pit, but I just I, I don't see him having the kind of year without Jordan Addison to throw to, I don't see him having a monster season like Jackson Dart could potentially have, especially given the, the home runs that or well potential home runs that Kiffin hit in the transfer portal with guys like Zach Evans and others. So I give me Jackson Dart all day. I agree with Tim.
1: Yeah, I I think his situation is going to benefit him a lot more than Keaton Slovis' situation is going to benefit him. Um, I think both guys are are better off, you know, moving on from the situations that they were in last year. Um, And they're going to be better than they were last year. But going into this year, uh, Jackson Dart has the better coach. He has the better players around him. And the better overall team to, you know, further his success. Where Key Slovis, I mean, if Jordan Addison was still there, you could talk me into him, you know, maybe, you know, winning this argument. But the fact that his biggest playmaker, you know, would be, is now gone playing on the other coast. That that's just an easy answer for me.
2: There'll be no questions for me. Yeah, I think if Jordan Addison was still at Pitt and Mark Whipple, uh, their OC last year, was also still at Pitt, that's kind of where it swings for me. Because even though Jackson Dart is going to be facing much much tougher defenses in the SEC West than Keaton Slovis will at Pitt. Uh, I still think with the surrounding talent and the offensive scheme, he probably has the better year as well. But I was surprised at how similar those guys were last season. But speaking of Jordan Addison, uh, he's next on the list. Him and Jackson, Smith, and Jigba. There's another two guys that had very, very similar stat lines. Uh, Jordan Addison, he caught 100 balls for 1,593 yards, 15.9 yards per catch, 17 touchdowns, uh, won the Balitnikov Award as the top receiver in the country. And Jackson, Smith, and Jigba... Caught 95 passes for 1,606 yards, which is a 16.9 yards per catch average, nine touchdowns. I didn't realize this. He actually led Ohio State in receiving yards last year, even with uh, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave on the roster, both of whom went in the top 12 of the draft. But Jordan Addison, he's going to be catching some footballs from Caleb Williams. Uh, is he going to catch more than, uh I guess have a better catch enough to have a better season than uh, Joseph Smith and Jigba Jason.
0: This is really tough. Uh, statistically speaking, you, I think you go ahead hard. and
1: waffle. I'll give you a good answer here in a minute.
0: All right, yeah, you you go ahead because mine's a little bit. My explanation is a little bit more detailed, I guess.
1: Well, in, in my humble opinion, I, I think Jordan Addison is a very, very, very good football player. But there's absolutely no way that he has a season like he had last year. Uh, Caleb Williams is a good quarterback, but he is not on the level of how Kenny Pickett played last year. He's not going to play at that level this year. Uh, And on the flip side, you, you got Njigba getting the ball from one of, you know, arguably the best quarterbacks in the nation and a high-flying offense to boot, I think that Ohio State is going to put up video game numbers on offense, and he's going to be the benefactor of a majority of those throws. And I just don't see where Jordan Addison keeps up the pace from last year in in the situation that he's in right now.
0: Well, I'll tell you how he would keep it up is because he's USA's number one player, period. He's their best player on their roster. He's going to get a shit ton of balls thrown his way and i got news for you there ain't in a motherfucking soul in the pac 12 that can cover that dude
1: no well, one. he's also gonna get a shit cover they're trying to double and triple coverage so book that i think they both are
0: yeah i mean i was gonna say what are you gonna do you gonna single cover jackson smith and jigbo because we saw that in the utah game and the dude dropped three hundy in that game alone so i mean he'll be
2: in the same boat that's another one. I, knew, I I couldn't make up my mind. So I just, I wanted to hear what you guys think. Those guys ended up much more similar than I was expecting going in. Uh, but before we get to the last couple of these, uh, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our friends at DraftKings. And I will let Jason handle that and then we'll be back in just a minute.
0: The Stanley Cup Finals are here, and our official sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook, which is an official sports betting partner of the National Hockey League, has a pretty amazing offer. Now, understand, if you're a new customer, you can bet $5, that's all, on any team to win and get $100 in free bets, no matter what, win or lose. If you're looking to turn a small bet into big money, then with DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay, combine multiple bets, it's your shot at an even- even bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, reliable. Best of all, you can deposit, and withdraw your cash whenever you feel like it. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TPPN. Bet five dollars on any NHL team to win and get one hundred dollars in free bets, no matter what. That's promo code TPPN. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the National Hockey League. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See our show notes for the details.
2: Thank you for that, Jason, and we are back. Uh, we're going to wrap up Pick Your Poison. The next couple are going to be coaching matchups. Uh, We've got some some coaches landed in new jobs. first two we're going to look at is uh, a guy who left a place and the guy who replaced him uh, at that place, and that is Lincoln Riley and Brent Venables. Uh, Lincoln Riley, four years at Oklahoma, went 55 and 10. I'm sorry, five years at Oklahoma, went 55 and 10, won, won the Big 12 four times. Bulls, uh, longtime defensive coordinator at Clemson. His defense has finished in the top 10 in yards per yards allowed per game, uh, seven and eight, eight past years, and he's had, uh, by my count, 13 players drafted in the first two rounds uh, since 2014 in his time there. So replacing Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, end of the year, who do you think will have uh, be sporting a better record, Timmy?
1: Um, I think it, it, this one's an easy one in my opinion because I don't think USC is going to be very good. I think I've been very adamant about that, you know, this year. Not yes. to say that they're not that, not to say that they're not going to be something, you know, two years from now or three years from now. And, and not trying to throw too much shade at Lincoln Riley, but I think Brent Venables' position at Oklahoma is a lot more apt to win now than um, Lincoln Riley's is at USC. Um, You know, I think his ability to bring a defensive philosophy and bring that scheme from Clemson and that knowledge of talent and being able to apply it in a conference where a lot of the other teams around you don't have that philosophy and that knowledge. I think Oklahoma can stymie some people on defense Um, and, you know, they got Dylan Gabriel coming in. Who's no slouch at quarterback and and I think he could be a big plus for them after losing, you know, Rattler and, and Caleb Williams. So I, I think his situation is, is like I said, a lot more conducive to uh, an early winning formula than it is at USC.
2: Jason rebuttal.
0: Uh, no rebuttal. I tend to agree with Tim. I think Brent Venables has a better season this year and it's not because of, you know, Oklahoma playing potentially playing some defense or whatever. I think it's going to be a year or two before we really see a transformation on defense. You might see some instant improvement just in form tackling because they were one of the worst tackling teams in the country last year. So, yeah, I that think,
1: shit'll change. Like, it to will.
0: think that the, I, I would like to think that that improves. Okay. But I, I'm seriously concerned about USC's depth yes, they took all those transfers, all that kind of shit, but they got like 55 scholarship players. Okay. They're not deep. So they may start out and win some good games early, but you get in the dog days of, you know, late October, November, early December. I I have concerns that, you know, if they don't stay at least marginally healthy, they're going to be getting their asses kicked towards the end of the season. So, and especially if they have some kind of injury. I mean, imagine if Caleb Williams were to get injured.
2: Yeah. I, I was just going to say, well, you're, you're talking about the death. I was like, man, they, I look at USC. They feel like they're one Caleb Williams injury away from three and nine. Yeah, that's like exactly even, right. Even even in that garbage ass conference, which which is the only reason I was tempted to, to maybe lean Lincoln Riley. It's like, well, you know, he, he's got his quarterback f- familiar with this system. He's He's playing absolute nobodies all year. I don't care who you play. You know, and, and then you can kind of compare that with with Brent Venables at Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma State showed that if you play really, really good defense in the Big Twelve, you can win with an average offense. You can do really, really well. And I think Brent. Now I I agree with Timmy. Might not get that year one right out of the gate, but boy, they're they're a hell of a lot more likely to stop anyone than USC is going to be. So I, I was kind of torn. I think I'm a slight Venables lean. But I could also see USC going 10 and 2, you know, if everything breaks right for them.
1: I can't see that at all. You
0: kidding me? You kidding me? I think we all just have a general disdain for USC after Hunter picked them to go undefeated and make the playoffs last year and they went 4 and 8.
1: Oh, that was just lunacy. But I mean, in all seriousness, can they win 8? Nine games this year, sure. I think that is a perfect year for them, um, you know, realistically speaking. Ten wins, I don't see that at all. I don't.
0: I'll be really anxious to see, anxious to see what their Vegas total comes out to be sometime in August. You Ten know. and a
1: half. Oh, God. I'll under. fucking
0: ride the shit out of that under. Oh, man, I hope under. they do. I hope they give them tons of clout, making like a nine and a half total. That's an easy
2: payday. Yeah, I mean they, they don't like you said they don't have a lot of depth, but they do have a a lot of talent. Um, and if they can figure some stuff out up front, I'm mean, again the Pac-12 is absolute top to bottom garbage outside of Utah and maybe Oregon. You know, would I be shocked, speechless if they win ten games? No, I don't expect it, but you know, I wouldn't be dumbfounded either. So, well,
0: I'm taking a page out of Timmy's book here, uh, where with regard to NFL free agency. Because he's a big Redskins hater. You can't build a team out of free agents. You just can't. It never fucking works. It just you doesn't could work. Build,
2: yeah, you could build a team for a given year. I don't know that you can build a program off the back of it, which is, you know, he, and the guy's been there six months. I don't know if that's what he's trying to do or what he has to do right now. What well, time will tell. But uh, I think I'm also a slight Venables lean. Uh, moving on to another couple of coaches. These time, uh, these guys are both first timers. They are walking into uh, a ready-made rivalry in the ACC Coastal, uh, taking over teams that both went six and six last year. Uh, Brent Pry, the Penn State defensive coordinator, is going to Virginia, and Ooh. I'm sorry, Virginia Tech, and Tony Elliott, the longtime Clemson offensive coordinator, oh, is. Man.
1: You even got to get my fucking opinion on this, Eric? You kidding me? <laughs> Oh, I can't believe this. I, I don't need to know over. what it is. I already
2: know what it is. I want to hear your reason why you think Brent <laughs> Pry will have a better year than Tony Elliott. Because right? these guys are in the same division of the same conference. They're going to play each other. They're taking over teams that were very, very similar uh, and they have similar backgrounds. So, you know, what, what do you think, Jason?
0: I'm going to let Timmy go first on this. Okay. I'm going to def- Okay. Gonna defer I, I had to you go first half. because I
2: wanted to. I don't already know what your opinion is.
0: Yeah, I'm going to defer to the second half on this and let Timmy take the rock here because I am really anxious to to hear this.
1: So it's an interesting discussion, you know, taking the Homer hat off here for this upcoming season. Now, if you're going to talk to me about, you know, three, four, five years, who's going to have the better team and the better program, Brent Pry is going to fucking slap Tony Elliott upside the head and make him call him his bitch, all right? because you know all the big-time recruits in the state of Virginia are going to end up in Blacksburg over the next couple of years. You can book that. I've been paying a lot of attention to what he's doing out there, uh, and, and it's bearing some fruit. And when you're looking at the campus of Virginia Tech and you're looking at the campus in Charlottesville, it's an easy fucking choice, man, let me tell you. But, you know, this year specifically, it is a close, close call, but I do think that, that Brent Pry and the Hokies are going to have a better season than UVA mainly based on returning talent. UVA has Brennan Armstrong, but we all saw last year he's, he's a pretty good quarterback, but the team around him sucks, and he can't, he can't make that team win all his own. And I don't see Tony Elliott, like we talked about with the Clemson discussion, I don't see him being the quarterback whisperer that's going to make Brennan Armstrong you know, be able to carry that team on his back. Um, but on the flip side, you know, Virginia Tech has basically a band of misfits coming back this year. You know, all their really good players either graduated or went to the NFL. There's one or two you know, guys that decided to come back. But I really do believe in Brent Prize coaching hires and his overall philosophy uh, on offense and defense. And I think he's going to be able to win seven games uh, with the team that he has this year, where I don't think Tony Elliott's going to be able to crack six.
2: I feel strong about this now, really strong. Interesting, yet not surprising in the least. Uh, <laughs> Jason, what's, what do you got?
0: All right. Well, since I don't have a Homer hat to put on for this argument, I'm going to break Timmy's heart real quick, and I'm going to go with Virginia having a better season this year. Uh, now, I do agree that Tony Elliott, not a quarterback whisper, but I think Brennan Armstrong coming back another year under his belt. I mean, I don't think their offense will get worse than it was a year ago. So, Bronco Mendenhall is he some offensive guru? No. So. I don't think it's gonna be any worse. If anything, it should improve a bit. So just looking at their schedule, they should be five and one at worst when they go to when they go to play Miami. I mean, they've got Richmond at Illinois, Old Dominion, at Syracuse, Duke, Louisville, at Georgia Tech, and then they get into the meet, Miami, North Carolina, pit, all that. So I see, you know, seven and five at worst for them, I think. You know, I I don't know. I mean, I think they probably steal one somewhere along the line, be it, you know, North Carolina or Pitt. They do play coastal Carolina. That could be tough. But I mean, if they beat Virginia Tech, they should go eight and four minimum. That
1: shit ain't happening.
0: Yeah, that is, I would say seven and five. But Virginia Tech's schedule, man, it's just, it's a little tougher for me. Now, something that Timmy knows Virginia Tech is fucking notorious for playing down to their competition. I mean they do it every fucking year.
1: We suck. Hey, those those were under previous regimes, man. I, and that's, I,
0: yeah, that's what I'm getting at. If they if they don't do that, then I think there's a strong possibility that Virginia Tech could have a better season. But until I see that, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pick them. So I'm gonna pick Virginia. Sorry about your team, Timmy, but I think they're a year away from being the unquestionable better team here
1: no i mean that's a fair argument but uh, the, the same things can be said about virginia and their ability to lose games to teams <laughs> like you know the odus and the Richmonds. so i'm not i'm not writing them as w's early on in their schedule i'm not you know but the same thing can be said those are under previous regimes and you know we'll see what happens but I just really believe that if you're going to you know, compare the two head coaching hires, I think that Tony Elliott got an interview in Blacksburg. I really do. And I think that you know Brent Pry just ended up being the better coach for them, and I think he's going to be the better coach overall. Interesting.
2: Uh, so this was close for me, and if I had to pick one, I think I would go with Virginia just because I think they have the better quarterback. Like it's that close where I would just – Give a slight edge to the team that I I think has the better guy at quarterback, which is Virginia. Mm. Mm. Get you some of that, Timmy.
1: Hey, all I know is is last year they lost to a headless horseman. So <laughs> <laughs> suck it.
0: That's true. That I mean, when's sure. the last time they when's the last time they beat Virginia Tech?
1: Uh, They beat him a couple of years ago, but they've only beat him twice since like 1999. So I don't want to hear any of it from you who fans get out of my face.
2: Uh, Would would they be someone that you would think would know anything? (laughs) Yeah. Moving away from the coaches. So we're going to take a look at a couple of big 10 running backs who had big uh, seasons last year as true freshmen, and they're very, very similar seasons uh, as far as carries, yards, yards per attempt, touchdowns, hundred-yard games, so on. Uh, Travion Henderson at Oklahoma State or Ohio State, excuse me, uh, had 183 carries for 1,248, which is 6.8 per carry and 15 touchdowns. Braylon Allen at Wisconsin, who played the entire season at age 17 because he reclassified. 186 carries for 1268 also 6.8 he had 12 touchdowns so he carried the ball three more times for 20 more yards they both had eight braylon allen had 800 yard games and travion henderson because he was a little more of a factor in the passing game had 300 yards receiving and four touchdowns he had eight games of 95 plus all-purpose yards so uh, jason you going first which of these guys are you looking to have a bigger year
0: that's really tough because I think Travion Henderson is probably the second best running back in the country overall, behind Bijan Robinson. So, statistically speaking, I he's in that same conversation with Ohio State. He'll lose a lot of touches, whereas I think Allen probably gets the much larger workload because, well, for number one, Graham Mertz fucking sucks, and I, I don't say that lightly. He stinks. He's terrible. Their offense was fucking putrid last year, aside from Allen. So just overall, I think Allen gets the rock a ton. I think he carries it 200-plus times, you know, maybe 250. And I think he probably ends up having a better statistical year. Um, Maybe not touchdowns because Ohio State is in the red zone so much. But give me Allen to have a better season just because I think sheer volume comes into play there.
2: Fair enough, Timmy.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that. I I mean, you're looking at the stats from last year, and they both had, you know, almost identical touches. You know, 183 for Travion Henderson, 186 for Braylon Allen but i do think that ohio state is going to lean more on cj stroud this year and let him sling it as opposed to handing the ball off if you're considering what travion hendrickson can do in the passing game that could give him a little bit of an edge but i think based off his performance from last year braylon allen is going to get even more carries than last year and i think he's going to be able to you know improve on his statistical numbers now, I'm not going to be a lunatic and say that Wisconsin's going to have a better season than Ohio State, but, you know, if you're comparing apples to apples and running back to running back, I agree that I think Braylon Allen is going to have the better season, you know, statistically speaking.
2: Yeah, so it's worth pointing out that that 186 carries that he had, uh, he was a special teamer and part-timer for the first month of the season last year. And then they had uh, Jalen Berger transferred, they had another guy transfer, they had a guy get hurt, and he wasn't really the workhorse till about week five. As tempting as I am, as I am of of giving Travion Henderson the edge here because of what he brings receiving out of the backfield, and knowing that that they had those two stud receivers leave, and and there might be a little more football to go around this year than there was last season, uh, I still think I'm, I'm with you guys. I give a slight edge to Braylon Allen based on volume because that 250 you were talking about, he might sail right past that if he's the full timer.
1: Yeah,
0: agree. I mean, that it's not uncommon for them to have a running back that's got two hundred ninety to three hundred carries. Right, and you're talking about work. Wisconsin
2: playing twelve games. Are they going to give him the ball twenty two times a game, at least? Right, absolutely. I think he'll go right past two fifty. So, I I would give the edge to him, even though I, you know, obviously I think Ohio State will be the far superior team. All right, boys, wrapping up. Last one two coaches who are coming in to the SEC from previous successful coaching stops. That is Billy Napier at Florida who had a really good run at Louisiana. Brian Kelly, who is coming to LSU from Notre Dame where he left as the winningest head coach in program history, even with 21 wins vacated. Both of these teams were 6-7 and seven last year. Really, really struggled. Cultural fit aside, uh, which coach do you expect to... <laughs> Come out. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, outside of that, they're they're similar in a lot of ways as far as where they've been, uh, how they've done, and where they're going. So, uh, Jason, I'll let you go first. Who do you expect to have the better year one playing in the SEC?
0: I can't discount the cultural fit. I, I don't see it. I don't see Brian Kelly now. Not to say that the guy can't coach football, because I'm a believer in Brian Kelly to put a winning football team together however when your team is so fucking thin that you can't even do a spring game of ones versus ones and twos versus twos you have to just do a scrimmage because your team is so thin because of injuries and transfers and covid and all kinds of other shit i i don't see him walking in this year and winning eight nine games and i think it's entirely possible that Billy Napier could come out and have a, you know, really, really good first season, especially if they win a couple of games they're not supposed to. Because I think we all, I mean, can we all by and large agree that Dan Mullen is not the quarterback guru that he used to be with guys like Dak Prescott? and people like that because i, I mean AR15 didn't really get the job until what late in the season and Emory late, Jones late. yeah late yeah i think his, I think his first
2: start was the Georgia game
0: uh, yeah and so uh, you look at Florida a team like Florida they've got some fucking athletes okay like 2 years ago in the covid year they went toe to toe with Alabama in the SEC championship game okay like i mean almost beat them so <laughs> i think just from sheer athletic ability And Napier having, you know, done things right and hired all kinds of crazy extra staff and fucking nutritionists and all that kind of shit. Like he knows the right way to build a program. I could easily see them having some instant success and having a really good year. They open with Utah. So they're going to get hit right in the mouth, right out of the gate. But if they were to manage to beat Utah and also beat Kentucky, uh, who's coming to the swamp this year, they seem to have Kentucky's number most of the time. I know Tim's high on Kentucky this year. I'm not as high. I think they take a step back so I, I mean if they win those two games and then they've got a sleeper before they play Tennessee so it could go one or two ways. yeah they could come out and be terrible and you know still look like the Florida from last year where they stink and they're one and three but if they come out and they're three and one or four and0 oh, I mean that they're in they're in store to potentially you know, challenge Georgia. I mean, if they came out this year after everything Georgia lost on defense, would it just absolutely blow your mind if Florida was in a close game with them?
2: Um, kind of. Yeah.
0: What about you, Tim?
1: Well, I mean, my answer to this question is the easiest one that I'm going to answer on tonight's episode. And Billy Napier is going to have the better season for a lot of the points that you already mentioned. I mean, Brian Kelly at LSU is not a fit at (laughs) at all. He's he's not at Notre Dame anymore. You can't just hate on him. Well, no, but, I mean, that's part of my argument, man. Like, I think he's going to get a very rude awakening when – I don't know if he's dusted off the schedule yet and figured out that he plays in the SEC West now, and he doesn't get to just pencil in everybody he wants to play every year. Like – them playing in the sec west is a a big factor in this equation for who's going to have the better year this year billy napier is walking in to to not much better situation in florida um but he's playing in the east and he doesn't have as big of juggernauts in the east as there is in the west and brian kelly is going to end up getting a big 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 piece of humble pie in the sec west this year you know, if you if you're gonna tell me they're gonna go six and seven again, I'd be like, "Holy shit, that's a really good year for them." Uh, I mean, <laughs> it would not shock me at all for them to win three or four games this year. It really wouldn't, because the the Ugh. cupboard is bare there. Uh, I don't, I, I don't, I just don't see him being able to improve on last year's record with less talent and as thin as they are where at least Billy Napier has a little bit of fat left on the bone at Florida and and a little bit easier schedule. So I think he's going to have the much better year by far.
0: Yeah. The main factor with Brian Kelly for me, dude, it's kind of like I, I see him as the opposite of what you would typically see a successful program or a program that's down become a successful program because I don't see him being able to, culturally walk into those living rooms in Louisiana and win over those students who could potentially go to Alabama or a school like Texas that's in the SEC you know I I don't see him winning those recruiting battles so not to say he's not a good recruiter but look at Notre Dame right now who's got the number one recruiting class for 2023 Notre Dame so if you're going to tell me that Brian Kelly couldn't get the players then why is Marcus Freeman getting them And now he's got to go recruit the SEC West against Nick Saban and guys like Kiffin and Billy Napier and Kirby Smart. I'm not buying it, dude. I'm not buying it. Yeah, and Jimbo's fucking massive collective. I mean, that's another big factor. I mean, I I just, I don't see it, dude. I think this is going to be, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it, dude. I I don't think the experiment's going to work. I think he's going to. Tank at LSU. I don't think they're going to be very good under Brian. No, Kelly.
1: I agree. And and if you're talking, to, you know, to me in a conversation about who you think the better football coach is, I think Billy Napier's better football coach than Brian Kelly is. Straight up, I think what what you know Billy Napier did at what was it Louisiana Lafayette? Yeah, yeah. what what he did there. Uh, over his tenure, I think was more impressive than what Brian Kelly was able to not do with Notre Dame. So I, I don't know. I, I'm just I'm not high on Brian Kelly at all. I never really have been like, I don't think he's a terrible coach, but I don't think he's as good as everybody makes him out to be.
0: Yeah, well, I think most LSU fans will probably agree with that. Eric, I mean, what did you have? Were you close on this one? <laughs>
2: Was initially I was kind of leaning LSU because the first part of Florida's schedule is so brutal. I look at their schedule, I was like, man, I could see them starting like one and four. Uh, and I'm not a big Anthony Richardson believer. Uh, After watching him play last year, but then I looked at LSU's schedule, and the back half of their schedule is rough. Um, you know, I don't know how much stock I put into the the cultural fit aspect of it because you look at LSU, and I don't know that it's possible to be more Louisiana than Ed Orgeron. Uh, And it didn't go well for him. So, you know, I think that only goes so far. But I think I would give a slight edge to Florida because they play in the East. Uh, Even with those tougher games on the front end, their conference schedule is not as daunting. And I think they probably have a little more talent, particularly on the defensive side of the ball.
0: I don't know. Ed Orgeron accomplished more in one season at LSU than Brian Kelly did in 10 at Notre Dame. So I don't know that I would hate on Ed O there, but.
2: I'm not, I'm not hating on him. I, you know, I'm a big fan of the guy. I'm just saying, I'm just saying cult, you know, when you talk about the cultural fit, well, how important is that? You know, it, it seems like one of those, that it, it's the icing on the cake, but it's not the cake. Like I just, I, I wouldn't rule the guy out simply because he's not Cajun. That's all I'm saying. But all right. Well, that's all eight of them. Uh, I had a bonus one lined up if if you guys wanted, which was uh, Urban Meyer versus unemployment, uh, because I've seen a a couple of tweets and articles about examining whether someone will hire him again. But I think we can skip that. Uh, I'm going unemployment. I think that guy
1: is just too radioactive. That guy is certified and double stamped unemployable. I mean, I don't even know if Walmart would give that guy a look at this point.
2: All right. Well, TBD and any listeners have uh, questions or topic ideas. Uh, maybe we could do a mailbag episode if we get enough feedback. That'd be fun. Oh,
1: you know what?
0: Actually, that that is something we need to do. I've got a handful of emails that we need to go through. I'm glad you reminded me of that because I'm terrible at remembering that. All right. So, well,
2: we'll cover that next week plus, plus maybe something else if if inspiration strikes us. But uh, other than that, I think we're good for this week, guys.
0: All right. Well, uh in that case, you guys can find us on Twitter at South End Zone Pod. We'd like to thank our corporate sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. And uh, we'll be back with you next week. So until then, later. Thank you very much. Have a great day.